It's getting a bit colder now, isn't it? Season seems to be changing. Um, new football season. Well, it's not new football. It's been going on for some weeks. And King's Church football team, their winning streak continues into the new season. But we're concerned. We will intercede and pray for them, won't we, for our football team. They, they only won 4-3. After all those 6-0, 7-0, whatever game, you know, to 4-3. And they were 2-0 down and then went 3-2 down and 3-3, then pulled it back and got a last-minute winner. So um, Femi, our manager, still is only just about keeping his job. <laughs> Otherwise, he too could become a football pundit like the last manager. I say this every time, don't I? It's, it's getting boring now. But, but, but we, we, we're really proud of our football team. They're doing well. But it is a, a, a new season, isn't it? And... Um, you know, we're talking about Thessalonians today and carrying on, sort of coming towards the end of this season, where all through this year, we've been going through the books of the Bible, and we're well into the New Testament now, because today, if you want to open your Bibles at the book of Thessalonians, that could be helpful for you, because that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, but I want to say a little bit about the background to Thessalonians before we start dipping into the book. Thessalonica uh, was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia, and it was an important port, an important commercial center, uh, situated on the, one of the main trade routes uh, f- from Rome to the east. And it's estimated when Paul was alive at that time, the population of Thessalonica would have been around about 200,000 people. So it was a big city. It still exists in present-day Greece, and it's under the name of Thessaloniki or Saloniki. And Paul and Silas took the gospel. You can read about how they took the gospel. You keep one finger in Thessalonians if you found it. Go back to Acts 17. How they took the gospel to Thessalonica on their second missionary journey. And here on the wall you can actually see their second missionary journey. uh, You know, and the route that they took. And so you can see they went via... Uh, what was modern-day Turkey, up the north side of that through Troas, Neapolis, to Philippi, which Judith, if you were here last Sunday, remember Judith talked about the book to the Philippians, and they went from uh, Philippi uh, to Thessalonica. In Philippi, if you remember, it was all kapow-wow stuff. They went and they found, they went to a place of prayer by the river, interesting, by the river, they thought there'd be prayer, and they found a woman called Lydia, and Lydia was an influential business person, seller of purple, and she received the gospel message that they brought and gave them free accommodation, and it all went really well. They were emboldened, they went, and there was a public casting out of demons, which caused up a whole pile of trouble, and they ended up in prison. But Paul and Silas, do you remember what they were doing at midnight? What were they doing, moaning and complaining? Singing praises at midnight, and... What was the response of praise rising from the prison cell? An earthquake, miracle, kapow stuff again, and resulting in the prison guard, the, 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 the guard of the prison, uh, the jailkeeper, him who would have the man who would have been quite a, a tough, hardened man, giving his life to the Lord, receiving the gospel, him and all his household being baptized. Wonderful stuff. Paul in prison. Paul gets, um, um, you know, uh, then calls for the authorities that had put him in prison to come and apologize. I love that. Can apologize for putting me in prison. Well, when you get to Thessalonica, um, what exciting things can we read about when we go from Philippi to Thessalonica? Well, not quite 
so kapow. It's a different season. <laughs> we read that Paul got a job. He went to Thessalonica. He got a job, probably tent making. And he worked day and night, he says. He worked so that he could buy food to eat. He got sheep lodging at the house of a man called Jason. Uh, he went three Sabbaths running to the synagogue and preached the gospel in the local Jewish synagogue. Nothing dramatic so far, you think. In fact, things went from fairly normal to, to bad, really, when the stay of Paul and Silas in Thessalonica was ended by a riot. Protesters, Jewish protesters who were getting upset about the number of Jews and God-fearing uh, Greeks, God-fearing Greeks and, and not a few prominent women in that city who were giving their lives, who hearing the gospel message, the gospel words that Paul was preaching, gave their lives to God. And suddenly all these people are protesting and they go to where Paul had been stopping, to Jason's house, and they're starting saying, we're going to get this man. They can't find him, he's not there. They take Jason and some of his friends to the town, the civic authorities, and accuse them of being the people who are going around turning the world upside down. Why are they turning the world upside down? Because just as in Philippi, uh, people who used to have to go around saying Caesar is Lord, Caesar is King, were suddenly starting saying there's another King, Jesus is actually the only King and Jesus is Lord. And so they brought them to the authorities, the authorities eventually released them on bail because they didn't like the fact that they were saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And what happened is the Christians, the believers, the new Christians told Paul and said, you've got to go. And at night, under cover of darkness, out they skulked out of Thessalonica. Not a dramatic time, a different sort of season to what they'd had in Philippi. But things went from bad to worse, really, because when they moved from Philippi, if we could look back at the map, when they moved from Thessalonica, they went then on to Berea, and they started uh, bringing the gospel in Berea, and some of these Jews who were so hateful towards the message that Paul was bringing and towards Paul followed him to Berea and started causing trouble there. And the believers, the new believers in Berea said, you've got to go. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, out they left Berea and they went down to Athens. And in Athens, Paul became really concerned what's happening to those brothers and sisters who he later wrote to them were, were like, he was like a father to them. He was like a mother with a children, like a father with his children. And so he wrote to them. First of all, he sent Timothy to them to try and find out, Timothy, you go and find out what's happening to these believers in Thessalonica. Timothy went and he came back with a good report. And Paul even wrote about this. Whew, this is so wonderful to hear that they are doing well, that it's as if I'm really living now. It's as though I wasn't living till I knew that those new Christians in Thessalonica were doing well. Now I know they're standing firm in the Lord. I feel so much better. I feel alive. I feel as if it's wonderful. These people I shared with the gospel with are continuing in the gospel. I'm going to write them a letter. And so in round about AD 51 or AD 52, Paul wrote his very first epistle and so began his career of writing epistles. You know, as we've said before, the epistles of Paul in the New Testament aren't in chronological order. They're in order in our New Testament in the length of the epistles. So Romans being the longest is first, Corinthians second, and on it goes until you come to Philemon, the shortest one. But, but his first letter he wrote was to the Thessalonians. And... Um, you can see what he wrote to them, just to give just a couple of, of things here. Just so the first 
book. He was looking back to them, this first letter he wrote to them, 1 Thessalonians, reflecting on how they'd received the gospel. His second part of the book is looking forward and exhortations to the Thessalonians. Then around about uh, five, six months later, he writes to them again, two Thessalonians, and you can see what's there. It's encouragement because they are facing persecution. They... Jason and the friends there were, you know, they were after their blood still probably, but there's persecution. And because somebody had come round with a word, a prophetic word claiming this was what Paul was saying, and a word from the Lord about that Jesus has already returned, they began to explain the day of the Lord. And there was also some issues about Christian behavior that they said, look, this is just as the prophetic word came to us this morning. You're holy. And Paul was saying basically the same sort of thing. You're holy, so live holy because that's who you are. So what does Paul write to the Thessalonians about? Do you remember Daniel um, when he talked about the book of Acts a few weeks ago saying that the Holy Spirit was mentioned so much because the new covenant church, it was the start of a new season. It was the season of the Spirit being poured out. Joel 2, that prophetic word 900 years earlier being fulfilled that the Spirit had been poured out on all flesh. And so in the, book of, in, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was mentioned very much. And reading through Thessalonians, if you just read through it, and it doesn't take you more than 10, 12, 15 minutes to read through both 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you begin to see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this book as well. And it's not so much as in 1 Corinthians 12 when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit, a line by line, precept upon precept, systematic teaching about the Holy Spirit. But what we pick up in Thessalonians is that Paul is just, it's just normal Christian life to live life in the Spirit. That relationship with the Holy Spirit is normal Christian living. In fact, there's no life outside of life in the Spirit. And that's the way he writes to them. And so he reflects back when we looked at that overview of 1 Thessalonians. He starts off in the letter by reflecting back on how they received the gospel that he preached. And he makes it clear that Paul's preaching wasn't like the preaching that was going on all over the Greek Roman, uh, the Roman and, and Greek speaking world of the time, where it was, you know, there was a preaching of charlatans and peddlers peddling different religions to try and make profit for themselves. Paul makes it clear that he, um, that the way he preached, there was something different about the message that he preached. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. So, first book, chapter 1 and verse 5, he says this Our gospel, our gospel, came to you, not simply with words, but also with the Holy Spirit, with power, and with deep conviction. Not simply with words, but with the Holy Spirit, with power, and with deep conviction. And it becomes clear that, 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 that the gospel words, I want us to understand the gospel words, the good news about Jesus that we proclaim now is the same gospel message that Paul proclaimed then. So when we speak words, when we speak gospel words about the good news, they're no longer ordinary words. Do you get that? That they're words that are carried with the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, with power and with deep conviction. Um, you see, the gospel involves, he said it wasn't simply with words, it was with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, but nevertheless, words were involved. Um, without words, there is no gospel. I want to 
challenge some of us because I think it's very easy for us to believe that we can live the life, therefore we don't need to say anything. If you're going to share the gospel with somebody else, you will have to live the life. Yes, of course, you can't, you know, it's no good if you're lying and cheating and stealing and and, and whatever. But you've got to be someone who lives the life, but you've also got to be someone who speaks the words. Just living the life, you are not sharing the gospel with people. Um, You see, Proverbs 18 verse 1 says this, it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we carry words of life when we carry the gospel to our friends, to our neighbours, relatives, whoever it is. When we share the gospel, we're sharing words of life, not words of death. You might say, Dave, Dave, hang on. I could I just live the life. I could never use words that would see someone's life changed, that would see their eternal destiny changed, uh, that would see their life changed radically for the better. My words aren't clever enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I could never do it. I get tripped up if people start arguing with me. You're right. It's not about you. When the words you use are gospel words, however, those words carried by the Holy Spirit can come with power and deep conviction and can do far more than you think they can. Uh, You see, how gospel, Paul says came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. The words are no longer ordinary words when they're gospel words. Even if your mouth is dry and trembling and you're getting the words in the wrong order, something happens when you start sharing the gospel, when you start giving gospel words to somebody else. I remember the first time, the very first time I led a friend to the Lord, I was still at primary school. And I spoke to him about Jesus in the back garden, at the bottom of the garden, in the little den that was there. And I'd heard loads of preaching about how we need to share the gospel with others. And I thought, I must have been around about nine years old. And I thought, I'll give it a try on Lewis, his name was. And so sat Lewis down in the den, bushes around, little bricks to sit on in this den and run. And started to talk to Lewis, my friend from primary school. And began to talk to him. And I thought, and you know what? My mouth went dry. I felt all nervous. I was really terrified about what he might do to me or say to me or say about me when I started sharing the gospel. But do you know what happened? He gave his life to the Lord. And I, as a nine-year-old, I led him in a prayer of repentance and giving his life to God. And, and that, was, you know, that was back then. Fifty years later, yes, I am 59. Fifty years later... Fifty years later, I still get nervous. My mouth can still go dry when I'm sharing the gospel, especially with somebody who I know. Yeah? Um, it's much easier to do share it with a stranger on the street than with someone you know. You know what I mean. Lots of you are nodding and smiling, and you know, is it just me? But what I want us to understand, my confidence over 50 years has grown, not in my own ability, not in my eloquence, but I've seen it time and time again, the most feeble, the most jumbled up, the most rubbish ways of of sharing, of speaking to someone else, but seeing it time and time again, that my confidence is not in my own ability to speak and communicate, my confidence is in the power of the words that come from my mouth, as the power, they come with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, and can enter someone's heart, and start to do a work in their heart. Uh, So, Paul 
reminds them of that and says, do you remember how my words came to you? Wasn't simply, the gospel came to you, not simply with words. Because there were no, there's no recorded miracles and signs and wonders as there were in Philippi and some of the other places. They probably, they might have happened, we don't know. They're not recorded in scripture. But it was something about the power of words. Life and death are in the power of a tongue. We can share the gospel with others who haven't yet heard this wonderful news and believe in the power of the words that we share carried by the Holy Spirit with deep conviction. You see, but you say, okay, so once we've received the gospel, because I'm sure the vast majority of us here have received the gospel. If you haven't, you can today. Uh, don't delay. Um, but once you've received the gospel, once you become a follower of Jesus, is that it? Or can words still do a work in you? And the answer is, yes, they can. You see, Paul wanted the, Philippian, the Thess- Thessalonians to know and to understand That the words he continued to write to them, the words he spoke to them, even after they'd received the gospel and become believers and said, Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't Lord, I'm going against the culture, I'm living a holy life. Uh, that, That the words that continued to come to them were still words on a mission, were still words that could be carried by the Holy Spirit and do a work in them. And so look at the next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, and he says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Do you understand what this is saying? The word of God Preach to us where it's the word of God, the word of God, the written word of God that we read and speak out aloud. Uh, The word of God that comes through a prophetic word uh, in a meeting like this when Daniel or, or Dave Carr brings a word to us. These things can be the word of God that are on a journey. The word on a journey and we can open up our hearts, accept it and say that's the word of God for me. And the word, as we accept it, starts to work in us as we believe it. So, for example, this morning, Dave Carr brought a prophetic word about you're holy. You're holy. And you think, well, Dave, you don't know what was going on last week or the middle of this week and what has been happening. No, you receive it as the word of God. God. I'm holy. God says I'm holy, not because of my track record, because of what Jesus has done for me. Therefore, I'll accept that word as the word of God. You speak something. You say, amen. You say, that's right. You say, I agree. You speak something and you open your heart for the word to come into your heart and the word starts to work in you. And that habit, that sinful habit that that you're struggling to get over, because you say, amen, because you agree, the word works in you and you find you no longer want to do what you used to want to do, that you knew wasn't the will of God for your life. And the word works works. Do you understand this? The word actually does something. The word which is at work in you who believe. How did you become Christians in the first place? You became Christians because you accepted the word of God. And there was something in you where you said, Jesus is Lord. And you, 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 you confessed with your mouth, you believed in your heart that God had raised him from the dead and you were saved. So you accept the word and something starts to happen. You see, um, Peter 
writes, uh, you know, about the written promises of God, I believe he's writing here. In 2 Peter 1 verse 4, he says, he's given us, God has given us these great and precious promises so that we might become partakers in the divine nature. That's amazing stuff. That you can partake in the divine nature. That you can have something of the nature of Christ that Judith was talking about last week. You can have something of his humility. You can have something of the power of God, the blessing of God flowing through your life as you take hold of these precious promises and you apply them to your life. You see, you've got to realize though, Romans 10, 17, Paul says this. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The promises of God, all in scripture, that you've got so many there in your Bibles, these promises are no good to you at all unless you speak them out. Um, You know, life has changed so much in my lifetime. I will be 60 in a few weeks' time. And I can remember my mother doing the washing by hand and then being excited when she got a ringer that she turned around, put the washing through. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, what's he talking about, a ringer? You push your washing through. I used to have a go on it sometimes. And you turn it round, and it would come through, sort of squeezing out all the things. Zeta knows what I'm talking about. And, and I won't say other names of people who are nodding their heads. Norman knows, but, I've, but then I won't say any other names. Uh, but many of you know what I'm talking about. Now what do we have? Push it in. I, our washing machine has a program. You can tell what time, how long's left to go before it's finished. It's all spun and dry and fantastic. Amazing. Um, you know, uh, j- j- just think dishwashers. Don't wash up and put it in a dishwasher. Microwave ovens, what's that all about? And, uh, you know, look at your smartphones you carry, vacuum cleaner. I could go on, couldn't I? Bean to cup, coffee machines. Um, On we go. There's so many things. Um, But imagine having all those gadgets, all those help at home, but you never switch them on. You just had them. I want to say to you, when you let your Bible get dusty, when you never read it, When you read it but never speak out anything that God is saying to you, you're just like the person who has all the gadgets. The person who watches the gadget show when it's on and looks, oh, isn't that wonderful, but never thinks of getting the gadget and never apply. You're just like that person who says, oh, you've got uh, uh, so many wonderful things that can help you and accelerate and make your life better, but you don't use them because you never switch them on. How about... We start receiving the word of God. How do we receive the word of God? Speaking out something. How about that's, that we start reading our Bibles and getting into a good routine? You know, the Christian life is duty-free. <laughs> it's a duty-free life, but there's, a, there's so much pleasure in it. So much pleasure in it. How about we get into that place where we have the pleasure of day by day reading the word of God and speaking something out. You know, when you're reading the word of God, it's not a silent exercise. It's you meditate, you mumble, you speak, you, you grunt, you groan. Amen. Mm, that's right. You start to do something and the word is at work in you who believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. As you believe, this word is going to do something in me now. I'm not just lying back and being a doormat for the enemy. I'm rising up against that. I'm going to believe that the word of God in me is strong. 
that I'm strong and I can overcome the world because the word of Christ is in me and living in me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Um, You see, you know, as you accept it, so you can, I said the word takes a, a life of its own. You can accelerate the speed and the effectiveness of the word of God as you respond to it. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Look what he says to them. He says, finally brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. May speed ahead and be honoured just as it happens among you. So he's saying, pray for us. Here we are. We're in Athens now. But pray that the word of the Lord speeds. Fast. Pray that the word of the Lord gets a speeding ticket. Pray the word of the Lord gets caught by, a, by a, a, a traffic camera. You know, I just want the word of the Lord to go quicker and quicker and, and, and to advance more quickly. You see, how did they accept the word? They accepted the word and it started to work and did things in them very quickly. Only three, after three preaches on a Sabbath, there was already a church established because people were just, that's the word. I'm believing it. Amen. Yes. Um, I, I want to say, you know, the word of God, you see, it's just like rain. Uh, it's good. Everybody knows what rain is in Manchester. Uh, the word, you know, you, you have the rain cycle, don't you? The, it's in heaven, the rain. It comes down. It waters the earth. And then it evaporates and goes back up again. It does the job that it was supposed to do. And then it comes down again. You see... Isaiah illustrates that in Isaiah 55, prophetic word, says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, you know, our thoughts are not his thoughts, his ways are not our ways. But then it goes on to say this in, in Isaiah 55, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to their straight away, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall be my word that goes out from my mouth It shall not return to me empty, says God, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So every time God gives a promise in the written word, preached word, prophetic word, every time you know this is God speaking to me, something has happened. God has spoken a word. The word has come just like the rain from heaven. It's hit your dry and and, and hungry heart that's thirsting after him as we've sung this morning. And something happens. All that potential, all the dry seeds, all the potential that's in you, the promises of God, suddenly they get smack hit by the rain of heaven. And the word that you accept where you open the heart, the door of your heart and say, come Holy Spirit, come word of God and do a work in me. It begins to work and it saturates that which is dry and empty and and germinating seeds start to happen. Things, wow, I'm thinking, wow, I've got faith again. Wow, I feel I can do this. I feel it is possible for me to be more than a conqueror. I feel it is possible for God to meet all my needs according to his riches in Christ in glory. I feel it is possible for me to share the gospel with someone. I feel it is possible for me to live a holy life. What's happening? The word is coming and it's accomplishing the purpose for which it's sent. It then returns to the Lord and brings him glory. You see, um, let the rain of heaven, the snow of heaven keep falling in our hearts. We're the people God loves. 
The people God forgives, we heard this morning. The people in whom God has set his hope. We're the house of God, we're the gate of heaven. We're the people God hangs out with, we're clean, we're forgiven. That's our identity. The word comes from heaven and refreshes us with these truths. And then only after does it return. Imagine I sent you on a journey. I live in Presswich and I sent you on a journey. Go and, uh, or somebody else sent you on a journey. Go and deliver this parcel to Dave. You catch the bus, you catch the 93 outside the Red Hot Buffet in Deansgate. You jump on the 93, you get off at the Jewish cemetery, you walk round the corner to Dave's house and you knock on the door and you see Dave. You've got this parcel to deliver. You've been sent with a mission and you've got this parcel to deliver to Dave and you see me. Philippa, there's someone at the door. I just stand around, I hang about, I um and ah. I don't rush and open the door and take what you're giving me. I just look. How frustrating for you. How much delay am I causing by not opening the door quickly and taking what it is you want to deliver? Uh, when we receive... The spoken word, be it through a brother or sister bringing a prophetic word, be it through whatever way, the preach word, reading our Bibles and speaking it out. When we receive the word as the word of God, just as the Thessalonians did, something happens. It's as though we're opening the door, taking the purpose for which the word was sent, believing it, let it rest in our heart, and we're accelerating the purpose of God. That's why Peter wrote in, 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 in 2 Peter, he, he wrote that we can actually accelerate the coming of the Lord. We can speed up the purposes of God by opening our hearts and saying, yes, word of God, come and do a, a work in our lives. You know, Prophetic words are important. Paul writes to, to the Corinthians, it was, and he said, I want you all to prophesy. And I want to encourage us. In our times of worship, it's great where people come and they've got a word. In, in not, just in not just in times of worship, but in speaking to one another. Let's let the word of Christ dwell in us. Let's ask God for words of encouragement, words that build, words that exhort. And, and that's how we can build and encourage our, our communities. Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says this to them. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 20, he says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Remember, they'd had a wrong word, a prophetic word that wasn't right, saying that Jesus had already come. He tells them, doesn't tell them, oh right, that's it, sack all prophetic words from now on. He says, don't despise prophetic word, test it, see if it's good, and hold on to what is good, and let the word work in you. Let's never despise prophecies. People were inspired to bring a word in that way. But Paul, you know, he, he wants that everyone, everyone in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5, he wants everyone to speak in tongues and even more to prophesy. But let's not despise that bit either. The speaking in tongues. It's good to speak in tongues. It's a gift of the spirit that we can all receive. If Paul says, I want you all to the Corinthians, I'm sure it's the same for us. It's not, oh, that's not for me. It might not be for you to bring a, a, a public tongue in a meeting but we can all build ourselves up by speaking in tongues you know speaking in tongues prophesying are just wonderful gifts speaking in tongues it's a language of freedom you exist in tomorrow's world when you speak in tongues tomorrow becomes today and you just as a happy speaker in tongues you experience something of the beauty of 
which will someday cover the earth when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. You move into a realm of the supernatural. And I want to encourage anyone here who's not regularly speaking in tongues, who's never spoken in tongues, don't look on it as some sort of duty that you have to perform to be part of a charismatic church. It's not that at all. It's a beautiful language of freedom that can help you to pray, can help you to praise, can help you to worship God. It's a language of freedom that sets you free from the constraints of your mind when you're praying, when you're worshipping, that you just set free. And as you exercise that gift, I find in my own personal experience, the more I, more I find other spiritual gifts can come to me. So I want to encourage you, let's be a people who speak in tongues, who don't despise prophetic word. Um, you know, I want to finish just with one verse, which actually isn't in Thessalonians. And the worship team, if they can come up now, that would be great. And we're gonna, we were singing it early, but if the worship team can come. And it's 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. And we've talked a lot today about the way the Thessalonians received the word. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. He says, for this, well, verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we, that we utter Amen to the glory of God. The promises of God in your life are yes. They're yes. Uh, it's, there's no no's about it. He wants you blessed. He's on your side. He wants you blessed. There's something though that we utter. It's an amen. Anyone going to say amen? Amen. Uh, it's an amen. You can speak. You know, it's good when someone's preaching just to say, yes, amen, that's right, that's good. Because something happens is, oh, you take the word, and you, this, this is word not just in heaven. It's not just a felt a raindrop on my head. I, I, I've taken hold of it, and it's come. Do you remember Sasha Dissell? Raindrops keep falling on my head. No, most of you won't remember him at all, but some of you will. But it's, raindrops keep falling on my head. Uh, and, you know, we want to be a people. We say, yeah, raindrops from heaven keep falling in my heart. Uh, and I'm just going to receive the word of God. And I'm going to be a speaker of the word. I'm going to say what God uh, intends for me to, you know, just taking hold of it. What is it? What is it? Just bow your heads a minute. What is it that God's been saying to you? What are the promises of God that are alive in your heart now? If you, nothing comes to mind, go to the word of God. Start reading the word of God with a renewed passion, a renewed zeal. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to make it mine. What has God promised you that's not yet happened yet? How about you start opening your heart and say, Lord, I believe your promises. I believe some of this prophetic word that's come today, that I'm holy, I'm righteous, I, that you're at work in my life. I believe I'm going to make it. I believe even as Judith shared last week about the Philippians, that you who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I'm not a quitter. I'm someone's going, how about we say amen to such promises? Let's stand and let's just sing this song and, uh, and then we'll finish. But let's sing it. Amen.